Today we will highlight two books that aim to empower women to improve their physical and mental health. Hello, this is Dr. Prathima Sethi, and you are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Joining me today is Dr. Julia Schlam Edelman. She is a graduate of Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons and finished her obstetrics and gynecology residency at Brigham and Women's Hospital. She is now a board-certified gynecologist, a certified menopause clinician, a clinical instructor at Harvard Medical School, and an adjunct clinical instructor at Brown Medical School. She is also the author of two books, Menopause Matters and Successful Sleep Strategies for Women. Dr. Edelman, it is a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Dr. Setti. So in regards to Menopause Matters, why did you write this book? I wrote Menopause Matters to improve the quality of life of my patients, but also to improve the quality of life of physicians. I found that there was a lot of confusion in the public domain on the Internet and in magazines and newspapers and even among women themselves discussing important issues in menopause. And even when patients came into the office and I took the time to explain some evidence-based information about menopause, often when women left my office, they were surrounded by misinformation and they would come back and forget what I said. So I found that I was explaining the same thing over and over and sometimes to the same people. I also found that colleagues had a lot of questions about menopause management and would call for curbside consult. So the Menopause Matters, Your Guide to a Long and Healthy Life was actually written for patients and for colleagues to give them a resource that they could refer to and have basic questions answered about this complex time of life. What specific types of issues related to peri- and postmenopause do you address in the book? Well, what you just mentioned, peri- and postmenopause, are the beginning of the complexity because as women transition from their reproductive organs, enabling them to become pregnant if they choose to, and then the ovaries no longer producing eggs and menstrual periods stopping, there are many, many changes, and women go through this transition in a variety of ways. It isn't always easy to pinpoint medically or clinically which phase they're in. So that was the first point of confusion. So the first chapter of Menopause Matters deals with the phases of menopause. What is the perimenopause and what is the postmenopause, and why does it matter which phase you're in? And this wasn't that clear, even in medical school and training, even if you do an OBGYN residency, this area is not covered usually, even these days. So I felt that women should understand that because if they think they're postmenopausal and their periods stop for six months, they might think they're not fertile and they may not want to have a child at age 50 or be able to add to their family at that point. And so there are many issues such as abnormal bleeding that are treated medically very differently in perimenopause and postmenopause and mean very different things in different phases. So the first chapter of Menopause Matters clarifies what those phases are, what they mean, and what they mean for women's health. And that chapter is actually posted online uh, and is accessible to women and their providers so they can refer to it without even purchasing the book. So it can provide a reference for both 
groups, the patients and the providers. And at the end of that chapter and each chapter are two sets of references that are general references for the general reader who may not have gone into medicine that have websites that are helpful for patients and books. And then at the end of the book, there are the peer-reviewed references for the physicians and caregivers of the patients that have the peer-reviewed references that are cited. How did you conduct your research? Well, I found that the patients were coming in with many questions, and the questions weren't always answered by the research. So I started with the questions that patients were asking me, and then I tried to include the things that I thought the patients and providers needed to know. And I did a very extensive literature research with hundreds of articles in each area. So I tried to cover all the things that impact women in peri- and postmenopause from hot flashes, 80% of women in perimenopause experience either hot flashes or night sweats. And I answer questions about lifestyle choices, alternative remedies, and prescription therapies from an evidence-based perspective because women will often come in with a supplement they purchased over the counter and they want to know, will it do any harm? Is it effective? Will it interact with things? And so I looked very carefully at the evidence in the literature so that I could advise them. In some cases, the evidence is not robust. There aren't articles that answer their questions, and I put that there. I would say there's only a few articles, or this hasn't been studied, but this has been tried in China or wherever it is that the remedy might have originated. So the topics range from the hot flashes and night sweats to taking hormones, be they, you know, remedies of any kind. It talks about heart disease. It talks about bleeding that might be irregular and when it needs to be evaluated by a gynecologist, whether it's in the perimenopause phase or the postmenopausal phase. I talk about urinary incontinence and changes in bladder anatomy. It talks about sexual changes and approaches to that. It talks about contraception for the perimenopausal women who's still going to be fertile and who might not wish to expand her family. And then there are changes in mental health that sometimes occur, particularly in perimenopause. So many women experience changes in their moods or a decrease in their memory, which concerns them a great deal. So I included information about that. And then the latter part of the book includes information about bone health because women experience bone loss through perimenopause and early postmenopause. And then I tried to cover information about exercise and nutrition. And one of the more unique chapters is lowering the risk of cancer. In the literature, there are studies that look at lifestyle changes and different choices for lowering the risk of cancer. And I covered those for the major gynecological cancers, breast cancer, ovary cancer, uterine cancer, cervix cancer, and bowel cancer, so that women could understand the impact of their choices long-term. And then finally, there's a chapter on the doctor visit that suggests to women questions that they might ask their physicians, and also what each woman can do to get more out of her doctor visit For example, having the family history readily at hand, uh, having a list of 
medications and supplements and allergies so that physicians have more time to spend on patient questions rather than uh, trying to sort out what the patient's actually taking. What do you hope the reader will take from your book? What I hope readers will take is that menopause is a natural transition. Everybody goes through it sooner or later who lives you know, past 58. Um, the national average for a woman to have her period stop spontaneously if she's healthy is 51. But the youngest woman who stop having their periods in, the, in North America are 40. And the oldest women who stop on their own who are healthy are 58. So most women will spend over 30 years of their life in postmenopause since the national average lifespan now is 84 for women. And we'd like to see women as healthy as possible. So many of the lifestyle choices that women make in perimenopause will influence the quality of life and the health that they enjoy during those 30 years. So I wanted women to have accurate information about what was happening with their bodies, what changes they might expect, and what information was available about lifestyle choices and alternative choices and prescription choices so that when they go to their physicians, they are aware of some of the baseline information that they might want to discuss. And I wanted physicians to have a resource that they could suggest to patients that has evidence-based information so that when physicians advise their patients, they have something to back them up, that patients can have this resource, use the index, look at the uh, references, and see what decisions they would like to make based on this evidence. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Prathima Seti. I'm speaking with Dr. Julia Edelman about her books, Menopause Matters and Successful Sleep Strategies for Women. So, Dr. Edelman, how did you decide to do a whole book on sleep? The way that came about was I was invited to give a talk about the menopause book that we just discussed at a continuing medical education event, and the sponsor of the CME event is also a uh, medical editor, and she noticed that I had a chapter on sleep in the menopause book, and she was looking for an author to write an ebook on sleep strategies for women. I had already done a literature search to learn more about sleep to advise women in the chapter on sleep in the menopause book, and I was very interested in this area. Women often came to me and said, Dr. Edelman, could you please give me hormones? I cannot sleep. I cannot fall asleep. I can't stay asleep. I wake up exhausted. And when I spoke to them, in some cases, I felt that their sleep issues were not related to night sweats or necessarily to peri or postmenopause, which is not always easy to sort out. But I, it, clinically, it seemed to me that there were other things going on. So I began to read more and more and do literature searches and speak with sleep experts, both in my local community and elsewhere, to determine how to help these women and to assess which women needed to have consultations with board-certified sleep physicians and which patients I could help in the office first. So as an outgrowth of that, 
uh, I received this invitation to write the book that became Successful Sleep Strategies for Women, and I reviewed another few hundred articles from the worldwide literature because many of the research articles on sleep do not specifically look at women's sleep issues. So initially, a lot of the research was done on men, and the typical profile, for example, for sleep apnea is an overweight man with a very thick neck and a compromised airway. But it turns out in women, a slender woman in midlife or perimenopause can also have sleep apnea, and she will not present clinically in the same way as an overweight male with a thick neck. And she may or may not snore, and her airway may not be completely compromised, but she may suffer quite a bit from sleep apnea, even though she doesn't have a classic presentation. And there are other examples in the ebook on sleep of how women's issues about sleep vary greatly from men's presentation of sleep problems. And as I understand it, the sleep book is for all adult women, correct? Not just peri- and postmenopausal women. That's exactly right, Dr. Seti. The sleep book covers adult women from age 18 to 80 and beyond. And it was interesting for me to learn while doing the research for the sleep book that young women in their late teens and early 20s also have a very high incidence of sleep issues. And those women more often have them related to lifestyle choices. There's a lot of use of uh, stimulants among college students and other lifestyle patterns that lead to disrupted sleep. So I did include those for younger women. So you are correct, it's not just about peri- and postmenopausal women. It covers the entire adult lifespan for women. So in your research, which strategies did you find most helpful for successful sleep? There are a variety of strategies that women can choose from. Depending upon the type of sleep issue they have determines which strategies they'll target. We spoke briefly a minute or so ago about sleep apnea, but often that can be accompanied by trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, in addition to disordered breathing or compromised breathing while sleeping. So the book is divided into different sections. The first chapter, I asked the publisher to allow me to post it free online so people didn't have to buy the book to read it. And that chapter can serve as a resource to women and their providers because it has all the lifestyle choices that I could find that help women fall asleep more readily. And it's a variety of things, as you can imagine. There's many things from when you eat and what kinds of things you might eat before bed, how close your mealtime is to your bedtime, when your last coffee was, the quantity of caffeinated beverages, alcohol consumption, and a variety of things like that. But in addition to all of those, one of the more interesting things I learned was that viewing a backlit screen within an hour before bedtime does compromise sleep because it activates the brain and makes the brain think it's time for daylight and activity, and so it revs the brain up. And 
now that we live with so much technology, there are many backlit screens to distract us before bed from backlit tablets to backlit phones to television sets and laptops. There are a few e-readers, or I think one in particular, that do not have backlit screens. It's a different technology. So the way that you can test it is if you turn the lights off and the screen glows, then it's a backlit screen. And then that might be something that would make it harder for a person to go to bed and fall asleep readily if they've been viewing such a backlit screen within the hour before bedtime. What have you been told are the most helpful bits of advice from your Menopause Matters book? I think there's a variety of things depending on where women are coming at it. I think one thing that women and providers alike appreciate is to learn the difference between peri and postmenopause and to learn where they are in the process. The other thing that seems to catch both women and providers off guard is that we don't really have a good lab test to tell women which phase of menopause they are in. So women who have not had a hysterectomy, they still have their uterus, and women who have not had, for example, an ablation where their lining has been cauterized and they are no longer bleeding. So women with their own spontaneous periods have the opportunity to have their postmenopause diagnosed clinically unless they've had chemotherapy or some other unusual circumstance. So in that case, after 12 consecutive months of no bleeding, and within the age range that we mentioned prior, from 40 to 58, most likely a woman will have entered postmenopause after the 12 consecutive months. So it's a retrospective diagnosis. Um, so that's helpful for women and their providers to know is what is going on and how to interpret bleeding. I think a lot of women feel like, oh, I heard the periods are irregular in perimenopause, so mine are irregular, so that must be fine. But in fact, sometimes it's not fine. So for example, let's say a woman is bleeding every month and then she misses six months in a row and then she starts bleeding again. She might think, oh, that's just a stray period. But in fact, she may be at very high risk for endometrial hyperplasia, which is a precancerous lesion, or she may have an endometrial polyp which is making her bleed, and in fact, she was meant to be going through those 12 consecutive months, but the polyp caused her to bleed. So there may be physical causes for that bleeding that need to be delineated so that she can be properly treated. So the other important piece of information, which is in the first chapter, but also in the fifth chapter, understanding unexpected bleeding, I think that's a really important educational piece for women and providers because the general guideline of, okay, well, periods are 80% of the time, periods are going to be irregular in perimenopause, that doesn't mean that all irregular periods are just due to perimenopause. So what I have found is some poor women are hemorrhaging or they're bleeding two or three weeks at a time and they're exhausted, and sometimes friends or even providers who are not dealing with this area at all will say, oh, that's perimenopause, it'll go away. Well, they might suffer for 10 years before it resolves and there may be unaddressed issues that need attention. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today and for sharing your thoughts on menopause and sleep disorders in women. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to speak with you. 
I am your host, Dr. Prathima Sethi, and you've been listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. If you missed any part of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com to download this podcast. Thank you very much for listening.